As former Irish rugby star Davy Tweed mounted his motorbike for what turned out to be the final journey of his life, he was a happy man because the loyalist community in his native North Antrim had more or less forgotten that just five years before he was still serving a jail sentence for a string of child sex crimes. And to all intents and purposes, the former unionist politician and staunch defender of orange rights at Dunloy, Drumcree and Harryville had been reinstated into civic society. Following his release from prison in 2016, Tweed had been allowed to rejoin the Orange Order and the Apprentice Broys of Derry. He attended the Hebron Free Presbyterian Church in Balamoney and he walked on the 12th of July. He even bought himself a new bowler hat to go with the orange lily sprig in his lapel. Tweed's conviction was quashed when the Court of Appeal agreed with his defence team that a judge at his trial had failed to adequately address the jury over the so-called bad character clause. Four years before, in 2012, David Alexander Tweed, Irish rugby international and hardline unionist politician, was jailed for eight years when he was found guilty at the Crown Court in Downpatrick of serious child sex attacks against two female victims. And three years before that, when he stood trial accused of 10 sex offences against two young girls, he was acquitted. Around tea time on October the 28th, 2021, as Tweed sped along the roads of the beautiful Antrim coast, his sordid past was furthest from his mind. But at nearly 62, Tweed's ability to handle a motorbike wasn't what it once was. And as he neared the junction of the White Park Road and Tully Road, outside the Irish whiskey village of Bush Mills, he lost control and toppled from his bike. Tweed was catapulted across the road where he collided with a fence post. The impact broke his neck and he died instantly. I'm Nicola Tallent and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A rugby legend capped for Ireland. A politician steeped in the beliefs of loyalism. A giant who claimed family values as his flag. But behind the mask, Davy Tweed was a monster and sex offender who terrorised his family and left a legacy of pain for his daughters. This week, in a long read special, my colleague Hugh Jordan is taking the microphone to tell you of the story of Davy Tweed, the monster behind the legend. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. As a young man growing up on the family farm near Dunloy, 
where high-speed road racing is a popular local pastime. Tweed had owned a motorbike. And at one stage, he even harboured dreams of following in the footsteps of local motorcycle legends, the Armoy Armada, led by the world-famous racer, Joey Dunlop. David Tweed liked to boast to strangers of his great friendship with the amiable Dunlop. Joey was known and loved around the globe for his daredevil ability on high-speed motorbikes and his laid-back and shy disposition. Despite the worldwide adulation he received on the racetrack, Joey Dunlop was happiest among his many friends in the villages and towns of his native County Antrim. Everyone except Davy Tweed, that was, because Joey had personally barred Tweed for life from his popular Joey's Bar pub situated on the platform of Balamoney Railway Station. Tweed had viciously punched another customer in the face so hard that he knocked the man's teeth out and his victim later suffered from depression and took his own life. Joey told Tweed he was no longer welcome in his bar and even after Joey was killed, he never went back, a local man told me. But a nasty incident resulting in a broken ankle, finally put paid to Tweed's fantasies of motorcycle glory. And it was only after a friend suggested he take up rugby that the six feet five man mountain stumbled into the sport which would bring him the public acclaim he so much desired. As a young man, Tweed had absolutely no interest in rugby. But after taking it up, he discovered he was good at it, a former friend told me. He had the bulk to hold off other players. He just pushed them away and they fell over like skittles. It was mainly his aggression that made him a success on the rugby field. Using his father's connections, Davy Tweed secured employment as a maintenance inspector on Northern Ireland Railways and soon afterwards began playing at his local club, Balamoney Rugby Club. At a friend's wedding, Tweed met Margaret Brown, a 29-year-old divorced mum of two from Belfast. She remembers him as charming and a perfect gentleman. Tweed was two years older, and after marrying Margaret in 1990, the couple set up home in Balamoney. It was when he made the step up to senior rugby with Balamina Rugby Football Club that his career really took off. He represented Ulster no fewer than 30 times and in 1995 he won the first of four international caps against France. The pinnacle of Tweed's playing career was when he was chosen to play for Ireland at the World Cup Finals. At 36, he remains the eldest debutant ever to pull on an Irish international jersey. Following his international call-up, Tweed was scheduled to share a room with legendary Munster rugby star Peter Clohessy, 
whose Irish nationalist sentiments were well known. And in the macho world of Ulster rugby, tough-talking Tweed was known to enjoy showing off a large UVF tattoo which was prominently displayed on his leg. Among supporters, speculation was rife about the ability of the polar opposites to blend. But before heading south to link up with the rest of the squad, Tweed made an urgent appointment with a local tattoo artist where he he requested the removal of the Loyalist paramilitary emblem and it was morphed into something much less contentious. In the end, Tweed bottled it, a former friend explained. He liked to give the impression of being a no-surrender Ulster man. Although he pretended otherwise, he was secretly delighted to represent Ireland at rugby. And he added, on the living room wall of his home in Balamoney, he had a huge picture of himself in an Irish international jersey. As the emergency services raced to his aid, Davy Tweed lay dead in a county Antrim field, and it wasn't long before news of his passing began to filter back into the newsrooms in Belfast. Before going to jail, Tweed had represented both the DUP and the TUV on Ballymena Council. And when news came through that he'd been killed in a road accident, it was to Tweed's former political associates that reporters turned for comment. TUV leader Jim Allister, a barrister by profession, described Tweed as larger than life. And the following morning, Alistair used his Twitter feed to pay tribute to his former party colleague. He wrote, Deeply saddened to learn of the death of the former Ireland rugby star and Ballymena councillor Davy Tweed in a road accident in North Antrim yesterday. Sincere sympathy to his grieving family and the wide circle of friends. Before joining the traditional Ulster Unionist voice, Tweed had represented Ian Paisley's Democratic Unionist Party as a local government councillor. An Ian Paisley MP, son of the party founder, was keen to add his voice to the tributes flooding in after Tweed's death. The Honourable Member for North Antrim, who shared Tweed's love of motorbikes, said he too was shocked and saddened to hear of his death. A one-time leading Ulster and Ireland rugby star, political activist, elected official and leading orange man, David was a well-known Ulster man. To his family, I send my condolences and heartfelt prayers at what must be an unimaginably heartbreaking time for them. I pray God will comfort them and give them peace at their point of need, said Mr Paisley. Mervyn Storey, MLA, a lifelong personal friend of Tweed, also described him as a larger-than-life character, and he spoke warmly of having seen Tweed sitting behind him in the Hebron Free Presbyterian Church the Sunday before he died. The DUP politician also praised Tweed 
as a former elected councillor and a member of the Orange Order and of the Apprentice Boys of Derry. But not everyone in North Antrim felt sadness at Davy Tweed's untimely death. In Belfast, Tweed's daughter Lorraine, who later set aside her right to anonymity to help expose the scourge of paedophilia, expressed no sorrow for the man who had made her childhood such a misery. My immediate thoughts weren't for Tweed, she said. I wanted to know if anyone else had been involved in the accident. I was elated when I was told he was on his own. I didn't want anyone else to feel guilt over the death of Davy Tweed, said Lorraine. And she added, To say I was delighted is an understatement. Davy Tweed was my father, but he was an evil man, a violent thug and a bully who made my mother's life a misery. Other women also went public to express their dislike of the deceased rugby star and unionist politician. Naomi Finlay, whose Orangeman father, John, was a lifelong friend of Davy Tweed and later organised his funeral, took to Facebook to express her fury. She found it hard, she said, to comprehend why so many were expressing sorrow for a man she described as a monster. Naomi wrote, We all knew what he was like. We knew that he had assaulted his wife and children, and yet we are now sorry that he is gone. Sorry to offend anyone, but I didn't like him when he was alive, and I'm not going to pretend to like him now that he's gone. This man ruined the lives of so many women, and he made them fear for their lives. Arch-loyalist Davy Tweed liked to boast about his Protestant paramilitary connections. He liked to give people the impression he was a member of the Ulster Volunteer Force in his native North Antrim, and he enjoyed putting anyone who crossed him into a state of fear and trepidation. But when asked this week to confirm if Tweed had actually joined the UVF or any other Protestant paramilitary group, a former Loyalist prisoner told us it depended on how many pints he had in his belly. And he added, he liked to give the impression that he was, but it was mainly in his mind. Driving with others in his car, he enjoyed pointing out dense woodland before telling his passengers, that's where we did our military training. And of course, being a typical bully, he liked to threaten people with the shadowy loyalist group, including his own wife. Tweed enjoyed threatening people with the UVF. It was only a few people in Balamone knew the truth. He wasn't a member, but he liked to give the impression that he was, a local source told us. One person Tweed threatened on a regular basis was his diminutive wife, Margaret, the mother of his four daughters and stepson, and stepdaughter. Sources told us Margaret was subjected to 
almost constant physical abuse throughout her marriage to the six feet five rugby player. And he also threatened her with UVF violence. On one occasion, when Tweed returned home after playing rugby, he was unable to gain access to the house because he had lost his key. He had been in the bar at the club after the game and he was clearly the worse for wear by the time he got home. Margaret had taken a bath and she hadn't heard her husband battering on the front door at Cherry Gardens, Balamone. But when Tweed eventually got into the house, he attacked his wife for leaving him standing in the doorstep. Tweed left Margaret black and blue that day simply because she hadn't heard him knocking at the door. The slightest thing could set him off and violence was his first response to anything, a local source told us. On another occasion, Tweed appeared at the house with a chainsaw in his hand and after firing up the engine, he told his terrified wife he was going to cut her head off. Margaret Tweed was often the target of her husband's anger and one source we spoke to revealed Tweed physically and sexually assaulted his wife almost every day. Other observers say Tweed actually enjoyed seeing his wife in a state of fear and alarm and he told her he was going to physically attack her parents in front of her. When Margaret was pregnant with one of her daughters, he grabbed her by the throat and he held it so tightly that she passed out. One night, when Tweed completely lost his temper and flew into a rage, Margaret was so afraid for her own safety, she ran to the bathroom where she managed to lock the door before escaping out the window. The terrified mum then hid in a ditch at the rear of the property as Tweed scoured the laneway searching for her. She camouflaged herself with grass and twigs. But Margaret soon discovered her hiding place was also home to a family of rats. Being absolutely petrified of rodents, she was about to scream when she remembered she was much more afraid of her husband than she was the rats. Margaret remained in the ditch until she deemed it was safe enough to return to her children and the family home. During a family holiday to Fuerteventura in the Canary Islands, Margaret Tweed noticed something about her husband which set alarm bells ringing. The Tweeds had become friendly with a Scottish couple who had teenage daughters around the same age as their own. And without their parents' knowledge, Tweed asked the girls if they'd like to go with him to the bar for a drink. Margaret told Tweed it wasn't appropriate behaviour to ask teenage girls to go with him to the bar. She also asked him how he would like it if another man had asked his daughters to go for a drink, said our source. And he added, at that time, Margaret was well aware of Tweed's violence towards her and the children, but she hadn't a clue that her husband was also a dangerous paedophile. On the same holiday, Tweed lost his temper twice. 
He seriously assaulted his daughter Catherine in the street and he also banged her sister Lorraine's head off a wall. A separate source told us about another incident when the Tweeds lived in the Carnani estate in Ballymoney. Word had spread locally that Davy Tweed was in the process of attacking his wife Margaret in the family home. A group of men from the nearby Glebe area banded together to confront him at home. And when they appeared outside Davy Tweed's house, they demanded he come out. Not put off in the slightest, the well-known wife-beater stepped outside to face the angry crowd. He pleaded his case, admitting that he and his wife were having a domestic argument, but he insisted she wasn't in any physical danger. It was a blatant lie. Unknown to the men, Tweed had stuffed three large kitchen knives down the rear of his waistband in case things got rough. And it was only the arrival of the police which calmed things and saved Margaret from a worse beating. Neighbours in Balamone say tension in the Tweed family home shot up when Davy Tweed arrived home from work. Margaret and the girls walked on eggshells then because they couldn't anticipate his mood swings. Sometimes he was all right, but he could also fly off the handle at the slightest thing a woman told us. And she added, it usually ended with Margaret getting the rough end of his temper. Another Balamone resident said she also witnessed Tweed battering his wife's head off the family car. He bounced Margaret's head so hard off the side of the car it actually dented the panel, she said. We also learned Tweed suffered from a serious schizoid personality disorder. Sometimes, after beating Margaret's face to a pulp, he would burst into a flood of tears. He then told his wife how much he loved her and he promised not to do it again. Davy Tweed played Mr Nice when he was out, but he wasn't just a devil in the home, he was evil said a woman who witnessed the violence firsthand. One eyewitness we spoke to recalled seeing Davy Tweed assault his now deceased mother with a hosepipe. What kind of man assaults his own mother, I ask you? Well, Davy Tweed did, and it was witnessed by plenty of people, she told us. A review of the 2012 trial, when Tweed was sent down for eight years for serious sexual abuse of two girls also revealed the depths to which he was prepared to go to cover up his paedophilia. Tweed admitted to seriously assaulting his wife Margaret. But as a legal source pointed out, it was simply a ruse to throw the jury off the scent that he was also a serial sex pervert. Tweed wanted the jury to believe he may have been violent, but he was honest, said our legal source. His plan was to convince them that he was prepared to admit the serious assault of his wife, then why wouldn't he also admit the sex abuse charges as well? But it backfired because the jury didn't believe a word of it.
In the hours following his death, Davy Tweed's two court appearances on serious child sex offences barely received a mention, and in some reports, they even disappeared altogether. Almost entirely, the focus was in the tragic accident which had claimed the life of the former Irish rugby international and unapologetic unionist politician. As the Sunday world had been present at the Crown Court when Tweed was sent to prison for eight years, we knew different. We were aware of the devastation he'd left in his wake and we decided it was appropriate to make contact with one of the young women who had anonymously pointed the accusing finger at the rugby star. Amanda Brown, Tweed's one-time stepdaughter, has stood in the witness box and told the jury how he regularly subjected her to sex abuse when she was a small child. Amanda's evidence to the police had helped put the man mountain in the dock for the second time in his life. At 14.49, on October the 29th, less than 24 hours after Davy Tweed died in a road traffic accident, we sent an electronic message to Amanda's mobile phone asking if she felt able to discuss the Davy Tweed case. And around two minutes later, she replied with, I wondered how long it would take you to be in touch. I will happily speak to you. We didn't know it at the time, but over the course of the next month, Davy Tweed's legacy as an international rugby star and respectable unionist politician would be left in tatters. And as a direct result of the actions of Amanda Brown and her brave sisters, politicians who had sung Tweed's praises when he died were forced to deliver grovelling apologies. Now 41 and the mother of a small boy, Amanda lives and works in Belfast where she holds down a top job. In a clear and concise manner, Amanda Brown forensically demolished the myth that her stepfather, Davy Tweed, was a larger-than-life character who deserved praise for his past life. He wasn't a gentleman. He was a bully and a paedophile, she said. While most people may mean well, these comments stick in my throat because, to me, he wasn't someone who should be spoken of highly. I spent a lot of time dealing with my trauma and getting over the PTSD I suffered as a result of Tweed's sexual abuse and domestic violence. So my overall takeaway from learning of the passing of Davy Tweed is that he can no longer hurt anyone else, Amanda said. After making a formal complaint to the police about Tweed's criminal behaviour, Amanda was forced to leave her home in Balamone and move to Belfast as a result of a campaign of daily intimidation by Davy Tweed. The six feet five former rugby star began appearing outside her place of work as she was about to go home. He would stand across the road and stare at me as I was about to leave the building. I knew exactly what he was doing, but I wasn't sure what to do about it, she said.
Amanda decided she wanted to address Sunday World readers directly, and in a perfectly crafted piece, she wrote, I'm not even sure where to begin when it comes to how I feel. Without context, most people would be concerned with my feelings of happiness on hearing the news of Tweed's death and then feeling complete peace. I should give you some context as to why I feel the way I do. To a lot of you, Davy Tweed was a political activist, a rugby hero and a counsellor, but to me, he was my abuser and he ruined my childhood. My earliest clear memory from around eight This little girl you see attending a showground in this picture. I have also fragmented memories with a feeling of being pinned down and terrified. I lived with this abuse. I learned how to hide it from everyone around me. I did this out of fear for what would happen if people knew. Given how violent he was, I spent my childhood afraid that he would kill me. Amanda Brown also explained how she naively formulated a plan which she believed would stop the sexual abuse. I thought that maybe he was abusing me because I was his stepdaughter and not his own daughter and I asked my mum if I could change my name to Tweed. We did that, but the abuse continued as before. I knew nothing about the others also being abused and I thought if I became a tweed it might stop but I was wrong nothing changed said Amanda Amanda also explained how she finally found the courage to tell someone about the abuse she endured as a child fast forward a lot of years when the pain of the trauma became too much as I heard of more and more people he had abused. The guilt I carried was great and I decided to speak out. I went to the police and the evidence I gave was considered strong enough in the opinion of the Crown Prosecution Service to take to court and secure a conviction. A court date was set for Tweed to be charged. But that's when the intimidation began in earnest. He would stand outside my place of work as I was about to go home and he would glare over at me. I left my job and I moved to Belfast, leaving my family and my friends behind, said Amanda. Amanda then recalled the difficulty she had in coming to terms with the strict legal procedures and standards required in sex abuse cases. The court process was difficult. I remember the first morning of the case. My barrister spoke with me and he gave me four words that I clung on to for the remainder of the case. The truth is easy, he said. Those four words became Amanda Brown's watchword and guiding light throughout every moment she spent in the witness box. And she believes she convinced the legal representatives who had previously been sceptical about whether she was telling the truth or not. I was in the dock every day for the first week. I was questioned in great detail by Tweed's defence team. 
his barrister interrogated me. I was a bundle of nerves, being in the same room as Davy Tweed and feeling his gaze bore into me. But the help I got from victim support also helped me throughout each moment I was being questioned. His defence team did all they could to try to find a hole in my recall, but they didn't find one. And I'm certain at one stage, Tweed's barrister realised I was telling the truth. His demeanour towards me changed, and in that moment, I felt as though I'd won, regardless of what decision the jury was to come to. Amanda also said that for the rest of her life, she will remember the moment she learned her abuser had been found guilty. Davy Tweed was found guilty on 13 out of 14 counts of sex abuse against a minor. It was almost unheard of in legal history. I wasn't in court for the verdict. I was too emotionally drained from the trial. I had also spent a lifetime thinking I wouldn't be believed I honestly believe that wouldn't be any different this time. But my main motivation for going to the police was to prevent him from hurting anyone else and to later learn that he'd been given an eight-year sentence with four years served time and he would be on the sex offenders register. I felt as though I had accomplished my goal, Amanda said. And she added, I knew then I could begin to heal. But Amanda Brown also recalled the devastation she experienced when she heard Tweed's case and the Court of Appeal had been upheld and he had been acquitted. This shook my world and I didn't understand it. There was no new evidence. He was released on the so-called bad character clause. It was a technicality and how the trial judge had addressed the jury. If Tweed had admitted violence against my mum, his defence team argued, then why would he not admit sex abuse towards me? It was a tiny legal loophole, and his defence team had taken four years to find it and present it in the Court of Appeal, said Amanda. And she added, I felt angry. I was asked if I wanted to go for a retrial but decided against it because I would have to go through all the stress of it again and even if he had been found guilty for a second time, he wouldn't spend any more time behind bars, Amanda claimed. And she remembered how she felt on hearing the comments of Tweed's supporters when he was found not guilty. The comments were horrendous to read that people who didn't know him were glorifying him and calling his victims liars, she said. And Amanda also addressed the plaudits given to her abuser at the time of his death. I read all the comments from people saying he was such a gentleman and the social media posts from his orange brethren speaking so highly of him. Politicians and people from the church were singing his praises for his politics and his sporting heroism. I actually felt sorry for the people who thought they knew Davy Tweed. They must have forgotten the real Davy Tweed. 
As a family, we all took part in the facade that he was a decent man, but we did it out of fear. No matter what people think they know or what they have forgotten before he died, David Tweed knew exactly what he was and there's no escaping that fact. And she added, he will have to answer for things he did and the lives he ruined. David Tweed's funeral finally went ahead the day after Amanda Brown went public about her stepfather's sex abuse past. It took place in the Hebron Free Presbyterian Church in Balamone, and despite loyal order leaders remaining tight-lipped about the matter, it was clearly an orange order affair from beginning to end. It had been arranged by his lifelong friend and fellow orangeman John Finlay, who took to Facebook to request a good turnout from Orange Brethren. Members of the former Rugby Stars Lodge wore collarettes as they carried Tweed's coffin on its final journey to the graveyard at Dunloy Presbyterian Church, where he was buried in a new grave near his parents. A prominently displayed photograph of the Order of Service showed mustachioed Tweed wearing an orange collarette and a bowler hat with a large orange lily tucked into the perimeter silk band. But it was when asked if the Orange Order regretted involvement in Tweed's final farewell, the organisation's Grand Secretary, the Reverend Mervyn Gibson, declined to be drawn. We've no comment to make, the normally loquacious Orange Order official said. On BBC's popular talkback programme on Radio Ulster, Tweed's former stepdaughter, Amanda Brown, once again slammed politicians and others for refusing to accept he was a paedophile. I feel it's one thing passing on condolences to the man But then to honour him as a great man, I didn't think that was okay, she told presenter William Crawley. It showed a massive disrespect to those who had suffered at his hands, Amanda insisted. And despite overwhelming opinion to the contrary, TUV leader Jim Allister, who had been a party colleague of Davy Tweed, point blank refused to modify his words of praise. DUP politicians Ian Paisley for North Antrim and MLA Mervyn Storey also declined to acknowledge Amanda Brown's criticism. But one person who days later came out strongly in support of Amanda was her half-sister Victoria. At 26, Vicky, as she is known, is the second youngest of Tweed's four daughters. Committed to unveiling the truth about Davy Tweed's sordid past, Vicky also set aside her right to anonymity to tell the Sunday world Davy Tweed wasn't a man, he was a monster, and it's time everyone knew it. People say he was a great rugby player and a great unionist politician, but to me he was the dark shadow 
who entered my bedroom every night to abuse me. To think Davy Tweed had actually attended my birth and held me in his arms, knowing that at some stage in the future he was going to abuse me. It's absolutely sickening, insisted Vicky. And she added, it's over now and he can't hurt me or anyone else anymore. Vicky Tweed is one of several young women who were sexually abused by her former rugby star father. They all endured years of mental and physical torture as well. Vicky said she decided to speak out in support of her sister Amanda in reaction to the plaudits being heaped on her sex-abusing father as though he was some kind of hero. As the Sunday World investigations into the sordid past of the secret life of David Tweed continued, it it became apparent he wasn't the upstanding unionist politician and orange man he liked to publicly portray. We discovered Tweed had sexually abused around 10 young girls, several of whom were related to him. In truth, the six feet five former rugby international was a violent thug and a vile sex monster who abused young girls. And he terrified his victims into keeping their mouths shut with threats and regular violent assaults. A mum of two, Vicky Tweed, who now helps run a daycare centre, told us, My first memory of being abused by Davy Tweed was when I was about six years of age. It badly affected my childhood, but I managed to block a lot of it out. The person who was supposed to be my protector was coming into my bedroom every night to abuse me. It was only when I was having my own baby that I began to have the flashbacks about what happened. I too went to the police and made a statement but I didn't feel strong enough to go through it with a court case. Like Amanda, I grew up and moved away and that helped me settle, but I always knew that I wanted to speak out for the sake of others, she said. Vicky also recalled how she felt when she was first told her abuser had died in a motorcycle crash. My sister messaged me about it. It was a strange feeling because the thing I feared most in the world was suddenly gone. I suppose I was happy because he could no longer hurt any other child or woman, she said. People tried to make out Davy Tweed was a great man. They said he was a great rugby man and a great unionist politician. He wasn't. First and foremost, Davy Tweed was a paedophile. And she added, Everyone should know this and accept it for what it is. Vicky also expressed her disappointment at not being able to confront her abuser face to face. When he was in prison, I applied to visit him because I wanted to ask him why he had abused me, but he turned down my request. Two weeks after Davy Tweed died in a road accident, it became apparent his five daughters were on a mission. 
They were determined to reveal the truth about the man they branded the Tweedophile. Brave Amanda, Lorraine, Catherine, Vicky and Jamie Lee stood shoulder to shoulder to tell the world the former Irish rugby international and one-time unionist councillor was in fact a dangerous paedophile. And they called on politicians, including the TUV leader Jim Allister, to publicly accept their father was a sex monster. Their show of strength and solidarity won widespread public support right across the island of Ireland. And agencies tasked with providing help for victims of sex abuse began to report an upsurge in inquiries since the sisters had spoken out. We wanted to set the record straight, said Amanda. This man was so much more than a sporting hero and a loyal DUP and TUV politician. He was a predatory paedophile and a violent thug who smashed our mother's face to a pulp on a regular basis. And as the Tweed sister's story became known, the spotlight switched to the unionist politicians who had heaped praise in him at the time of his death. But Jim Allister refused to back down and admit that he'd got it wrong. He insisted Tweed's conviction had been quashed and he angrily asked a BBC reporter, which part of that does the BBC not understand? In a slightly more measured response, a spokesman for the DUP said politicians Ian Paisley, MP and MLA Mervyn's story were aware of divisions in the Tweed family. But they both maintained that by saying what they did, they were merely passing on condolences. However, there was more to come, much more. And the next instalment of the shocking Davy Tweed saga forced the politicians, Jim Allister, Ian Paisley and Mervyn's story to apologise for their previous statements. Days before Davy Tweed was sent to jail for eight years on sex abuse charges, a talented young student took her own life. Gemma Louise Boyd could no longer cope with the mental anguish she endured as a result of Tweed's sex abuse, and she chose suicide as a way out. 28-year-old Gemma was a cousin and best friends with Tweed's daughters. And like them, she too was a victim of the former rugby star's vile sexual deviance. Gemma, a student at the University of Ulster, had undergone counselling to help her cope with the agony of the past. But in the end, the stress just became too much and she took her own life. Exactly a month to the day after Tweed died, Gemma's dad, James Boyd, told the Sunday World Readers directly, Davy Tweed killed my child. It was the first time the father of three had spoken publicly about the heartache which continues to swamp his family. Gemma had a lovely bubbly personality and nature and everyone loved her, said her heartbroken dad, 
Tweed had married James's sister, Margaret. Gemma just couldn't come to terms with the past and what Tweed had done to her. In the end, it was all too much for her, said James. James Boyd said he decided to speak out after taking strength from the testimony of Tweed's daughters, who set aside their anonymity to encourage other sex abuse victims to come forward. I too want other victims to come forward, he said. David Tweed escaped justice relating to the sexual abuse of his niece, Gemma Boyd. But even today, his vile behaviour continues to have a devastating effect on her family. On the day we visited the Boyd home, Gemma's mum, Maggie, was too upset to speak about the tragedy. She remained in her bedroom throughout. But her husband, James, 48, told us, I don't blame Gemma, I blame Davy Tweed. Gemma had been undergoing counselling, but there's only so much they can do. I know from experience, because a few years ago, I too had a complete breakdown over this, and I lost my job as a result, said James, who had previously worked as a manager in the building industry. James Boyd recalled the devastation he felt when his teenage daughter told him Tweed had abused her. I phoned Tweed right away and I told him I believed he had inappropriately touched my daughter Gemma. Tweed was silent for a few seconds and then he asked me to repeat what I said. I said it again. Tweed told me he'd be up to see me right away, but needless to say, he never arrived. Shortly after telling her parents about Tweed's abuse, Gemma reported the matter to the police, but she found the investigation too stressful to see it through. James Boyd also revealed how he personally confronted David Tweed after a chance meeting in a Chinese restaurant in Balamone. Tweed wasn't long out of jail at the time and I had gone to the restaurant to collect a meal we'd previously ordered. I saw Tweed sitting at a table. He also saw me and he said, What are you looking at? I said, Well, that's an open invitation. I'm looking at a dirty, disgusting excuse of a human being who really needs his bits cut off. True to form, Tweed then threatened James Boyd. I'll be seeing you around the town, he said. But James said, I'm not ashamed to say it, but if I had seen Tweed and Balamone when I was driving my car, I would have run him over. Tweed was just a big thug and a bully. He especially liked to threaten women and smaller men, but he would never challenge anyone near his own height and weight. The heartbroken dad also spoke about how hard it was for his family to come to terms with the loss of their lovely daughter Gemma. It's just constant sorrow and pain. It has affected us unbelievably. Most of the time, we are just shut down, he said. James also said his family took no comfort from the news that his daughter's abuser had died in a road traffic accident. It didn't make any difference to us, 
Gemma is still dead and we're not getting her back. David Tweed devastated us. He ruined every part of our life, said James. And he spoke about the ongoing effect the loss of Gemma has had on his family. It came home to me when the twins celebrated their 21st birthday. They were only 13 when we lost Gemma. They saw me break and children shouldn't see that. I cried for four days. I wouldn't leave the house. I wouldn't leave the bedroom. I had a complete breakdown. James Boyd also revealed that at one stage he was so consumed with grief he even contemplated taking his own life. The thing that kept me going though was my wife and children and knowing Davy Tweed was still alive I knew I couldn't leave this earth while Davy Tweed was still walking on it. And James also looked back at the warning signs leading up to Gemma's death at the age of just 20. He would hear Gemma crying at night and we wondered if she was self-harming. But she eventually told us what was wrong. In the end, Gemma was just too upset to get past it. But the only reason she was in that frame of mind was because Davy Tweed put her there, insisted James. And the days and weeks after Gemma Boyd told her parents about the trauma she was going through, they continued to keep a close eye on their young daughter. Gemma was studying forensic science at university. She had bought herself a small car to travel up and down. And to tell you the truth, on the weekend she died, we actually believed she was turning a corner. But of course, she wasn't. It may be hard to believe, but Gemma actually loved life, said James. Gemma comes into my mind first thing in the morning, and she's the last person I speak to at night before I go to sleep. I often wonder how she would have done if she had managed to go over it. I wonder if she'd have had a baby by now. James Boyd takes comfort from visiting his daughter's grave and Balamoney several times every week. And finally he spoke of the relief he felt when he learned Tweed was buried in Dunloy. I'm just glad that dirty bugger Tweed wasn't buried in the same cemetery as our Gemma. As January 2022 drew to a close, yet another sensational Davy Tweed story hit the front page. And this time, the details were even more sinister than anything that had gone before. In the course of its research, the Sunday world was told that many years ago, Davy Tweed had personally erected a mysterious wooden cross in a remote field on the former family farm at Galdana Road outside Dunloy. Some locals even claimed the cross marked the spot where the former rugby star 
had buried the remains of a stillborn or aborted baby, although they had no evidence to support their belief. And we had no way of knowing if the rumours were true or not. But we spoke to Tweed's sister Hazel. Three years Davy Tweed's junior, Hazel McAllister, had been raised on the farm alongside her brother. Hazel told us, as children, there were certain fields we weren't allowed to enter. And she also said she felt the matter should be properly investigated. David Tweed's former stepdaughter, Amanda Brown, who had spent a week in the witness box giving evidence against him, said that as a child visiting the farm, she had heard rumours about a buried child. After a great deal of searching, the Sunday world eventually found the wooden cross, which years before had been made and erected by Davy Tweed. We decided to report the matter to the police. Within hours of us passing on the details of our research, the police issued a statement saying it had launched an inquiry into alleged historical sexual abuse in the Dunloy area. At this time, the PSNI investigation is still underway and details will no doubt be disclosed to the public in due course. One thing appears certain though, the final chapter in the sorry saga surrounding the sordid past life of former rugby star and unionist politician Davy Tweed is still to be written. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.